Father, we thank you for the opportunity to put the brakes on our, our crazy, busy lives. Father, we thank you that you orchestrate things in our lives in order to mold us and shape us more into the image of Jesus for some and for others to get us to the place where we realize that you are God and that we've been trying to live life where we're God. Father, tonight I ask that in the chaos of all of our weeks, Lord, I know that there are so many different situations that are in this room. People that are hurting and they're hiding their hurt with a smile or with some makeup. Lord, people that are broken, that are hiding behind masks of tough guy. Lord, people that are lost and they don't know it. People that are lost and they know it and they don't care. People that are not satisfied with what they've been running to. Lord, I think of what you said to the people of Jeremiah's days that the thing that you had against them was that they had forsaken the one and true God and they had started digging wells for themselves that were broken and could not give any water. So, Father, tonight we ask that you would allow us to return, stop digging, put the shovel down, and to go back to the fountain of living water. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that what looks like chaos in the world is not chaos to you, that you are sovereign, that your timing is perfect, your ways are perfect, and your agenda on the earth is to seek and save those that are lost and to bring much glory to your glorious name. So, Father, tonight as we open your word, we ask that you would give us clarity. We ask that you would illuminate the pages of your word in our hearts, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, and give us hearts that are changed by the gospel once again. Jesus, Holy Spirit, God, we are so thankful for the gospel. May our lives reflect more of Jesus today than yesterday. Lord, grant me the words to say. Grant me the appropriate um, emotion, timing. Lord, bring conviction where conviction is necessary and long overdue. Bring encouragement to those that are in need of the perseverance and the hope that the scriptures bring. Lord, bring brokenness to the arrogant and bring the balm of Gilead to those that are hurting and broken. In Jesus' beautiful and precious and saving name we pray. Amen. All right. If you're new with us tonight, uh, my name is Jeremy Lucarelli, and um, I'm one of the pastors here at First Baptist Julius, and specifically of 18 to 35-year-olds. So most of you in this room are 18 to 35-year-old singles, and we're not going to deal with the fact that you're 18 to 35-year-old singles. We're going to act like we're a community of believers that just so happen to be single. 
Okay, that's a little bit different. We don't want to be defined by the fact that, yes, you're single, I'm not, I'm married, have a beautiful wife, beautiful daughter, and a son on the way. Super excited about that. Curb your enthusiasm. Okay, if you have your Bible, turn in them, please, to Acts chapter 26. What I was trying to say is if you're a visitor with us tonight, we have been studying the book of Acts for a while. Um, In fact, we've been studying it for 84, 85 days. Everyone say, wow. And what's amazing is that as we've been studying the book of Acts, I know you may not think this, but we have just skimmed the surface of the book of Acts. As we've gone through, you've been studying it on your own every day. Um, And every week on Wednesday night, we've been highlighting one portion that you've studied through the week. Then we've had people that are visitors that are like, Acts, what's that? And we've been just talking through the text on the book of Acts. So no matter if you've been studying for 10 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, or five hours a day, or you're just new to this scene, walking, walking in to this conversation on the book of Acts, the Word of God speaks to your situation no matter where you're at. Of course, if you study it a little bit more, you have more opportunity for the Lord to search you and know your heart and see if there's any false way in you through your study of the Word. So... Acts chapter 26. Uh, What's going on in Acts chapter 26? I usually start with a pretty general question. Wait for people to talk. There's this guy named Paul. Okay, yeah, he's pretty important in the book of Acts. Goes before the king. Give me specific. Who's the king? Agrippa. Okay, pretty important. Agrippa. Um, otherwise, some of your translations say Caesar. Pretty important. What else? What's happening? He's testifying. He's giving witness. Telling his own story. Telling his testimony. What God's done in his life. We're going to read it in a second. But we need to get a little bit of context. How did he get before this guy named Agrippa? Say again, Aaron. The Jews want him out. Is this a new thing? Like, oh, I didn't realize the Jews hated me. What else have we seen through our study of the book of Acts where it's like, they really hate Paul? Yeah. He had people hurl rocks at him in hatred. Why? Why would, I mean, someone threw a rock at me, I'd be like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Why were they doing that to him? In the midst of other things, I'd be like, ow. (laughs) What, Andy? You didn't say anything. Why were they doing, why were they stoning him? He was preaching the resurrection of Jesus. So after they threw one rock at him, did he stop? Okay. That's weird. Last week, we uh, didn't have the opportunity to talk about this because we took a little veer for a second to continue a conversation that we were having on don't you be dancing with wolves in the church. Remember that? Yeah. Did you have some conversations last week about which animal you were? Yeah, some of you did. Some of you are like, no, I didn't. Um, many of you told other people what animal you, what animal you thought they were, but you were never willing to allow people to speak truth into your life. I really, 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 really 
emphasize, emphasize, really ask that you would have that conversation with someone. I think that I'm a blank. Would you please tell me what you think about that? Um, Some of you had that conversation this week, and it hurt a little bit, right? Maybe? Anybody, you were just dead wrong? Nobody's going to raise their hand to that, right? Amanda, were you dead wrong? Yeah, yeah. At this point in my life, I was this. Right on. What, if you don't mind us prying into your personal matters, which we've already done anyway, so might as well continue. What brought you from this to this? What, like, was it just a revelation of like, oh, I never shut up and complain about the church all the time, and I'm not willing to solve any of the problems. Oh, okay, well, I might as well start doing this. Is that how that happened for you? No. Oh, okay. Nice. That's a key word we've um, phrase we've been saying. But God has put things in my life and I was definitely following what I thought people would do church and he brought them to me. And I went up to her and I said, Dad, in my mind and in my head, Holly, I don't even know who you are to the church. And he just walked me through the book of God and it was open and honest to speak into my life. And he started doing things in my life and I like dealt with a lot of my stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So community, faith family of people that poured into you and lovingly, yet I know you well enough and we've had this conversation, forcefully showing you what the word says. Here's Amanda's life. Here's what the word says. Not lining up. Love, grace, because of the gospel, change. So you've grown. Yeah. Oh, I'm a duck. Now I'm a course. It didn't just happen like that. Yeah, there was that period of testing, that period of you, if you want to be a horse, you have to have sound doctrine. So you can't just, oh, I'm a duck and now I want to be a horse. Well, there's 66 books and you got to pull your sleeves up and get, get busy with it. Cool. Awesome. Anybody else this week have those conversations? Just raise your hand if you had the conversation. If you didn't, we won't slap you yet. Okay, awesome. 
If you haven't, again, I would really encourage you to have that conversation with somebody. If you have no idea what we're talking about, dfwgathering.com, there's a big scary picture of a wolf. It explains everything. Okay? Acts chapter 26. Let's read some of this together. Then we're going to pull it apart piece by piece. And then we're going to allow the word to tell us how to apply it to our lives. Okay? Verse number one. This is going to be kind of long because it's a long chapter, but we got a lot that we need to hit in this chapter. Are you ready? Ready. Here we go. Uh, Verse 1 of chapter 26, if you need a Bible, they're in the back. Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and proceeded to make his defense. In regard to all the things of which I'm accused by the Jews, I consider myself fortunate, King Agrippa, that I'm about to make my defense before you today, especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions among the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently, so then all the Jews know my manner of life from my youth, up which from the beginning was spent among my own nation and at Jerusalem. Since they have known about me for a long time, if they are willing to testify that I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion. And now I am standing trial for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers, the promise to which our 12 tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly serve God night and day. And for this hope, O King, I am being accused by the Jews. We'll read through this and then we'll, again, pull it apart. I have to restrain myself because I want to talk about it right now. Verse 8, why... Is it considered incredible among you people, among you people, if God does raise the dead? So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And as I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. And and being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. Now, parentheses here. Why is this interesting with Paul? That he did all of those things. Now, he preaches the hope of the resurrection That's what all those verses right there were about, by the way. Um, Verse 6, I'm standing trial for the hope of the promise, the resurrection. Um, Verse 7, the promise, the resurrection to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly serve God night and day. I'm being accused by the Jews. Now what he's, he's preaching the gospel and what's happening to him. Andy, you said this earlier. What's happening? He's being persecuted. By whom? The Jews. By his very own people, what he used to do, now people are doing to him. Interesting. Let's keep going. Uh, Verse 11, furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. While so engaged as I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest, at midday, O king. Now, it's really interesting. He keeps interjecting that he's talking to Agrippa here. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in a Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, but get up. 
Stand up on your feet. For this purpose, I have appeared to you to appoint you, number one, a minister, and number two, a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and then throughout all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles that they should, say the word with me, repent. Not only that they should repent, but as they are repenting, turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. For this reason, for the reason of repentance of the Gentiles, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. So having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying both to the small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place, that the Christ was to suffer, and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles." While Paul was saying this in defense, Festus, the guy who got him in trouble in the first place, said in a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your learning is driving you mad. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I utter words of sober truth. For the king knows about these matters, the resurrection, and I speak to him also with confidence, since I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? He don't play no games. I know that you do. Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time you will persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would wish to God, and whether in a short or long time, not only you become a Christian, but also those who hear me this day might become such as I, except for these chains. The king stood up, the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with him. And when they had gone aside, they began talking to one another saying, this man is not doing anything worthy of death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. All right, so I ask the question again, what's going on in chapter 26? We just read the whole blooming chapter. I don't usually read that much, but we need to pull this apart today. What's happening? He's on trial. Why? For preaching. For preaching what? Okay? Tell me about that. Why is that a big deal? Okay. All right. Before, though, we had dealt with this Jew and Gentile thing in Acts chapter 15. And we got the stamp of approval from the Jerusalem church. Okay, go do it. Here's some documents that say you can do it. Why is it a big deal here in chapter 26? What's the emphasized thing over and over and over again in this chapter? The resurrection. The hope, I think it's verse 6. The hope that all Jews have except for one sect called the Sadducees. They all believed in the resurrection. And why was Paul standing on trial before Agrippa? Because of the resurrection. Okay, interesting. 
Um, those of you who studied with us this week, is this the first time that we've heard Paul's testimony? No. Where, where else have we heard it? You remember? A couple chapters ago, chapter 22, he was telling somebody else the same story. And when we were first reading it, when it first happened, chapter 9. There's, it's really interesting here, some things that Paul brings out in his witness of the resurrection, in his witness to Agrippa. Look at verse, um, verse 8. Okay, so Paul's talking about the resurrection right there, verse 6, verse 7, and he's saying, look, this is the whole deal. I'm a Pharisee. Let people, let people talk to you about that. I'm a Pharisee, they, I, I'm one of them, I came from them, we all hope for the same thing, the resurrection, and now they're mad at me because I'm saying that God does raise the dead. So then I thought to myself, I had to do all these things. He, he was a Pharisee among Pharisees, he was zealous to the point of murdering Christians. Remember our boy Stephen, Acts chapter 7? Where was Paul in that situation? He was holding the coats, giving his sign of approval on the whole deal. Okay? So he talks about all this stuff that he did in Jerusalem. He not only did it in Jerusalem, but he was doing it in the temple. He was doing it with the synagogues. But look at verse 12 for me, with me. Some new insight that we get into Paul's testimony. In chapter 9 and chapter 22, it said that there was, that it was noonday, yeah, so the sun was bright. But here, what is the thing that gets Paul's attention? No? Look through 12 and following. What happens to him? Yeah, the light. It's the first time... Other places it said the sun was really bright. This time it says there was a bright light from heaven. And what, what happened to his boys that were with him? This is new information too. In chapter 9 and chapter 22, it didn't say that the other people that were around him fell. But in this case, we see not only Paul was experiencing this light, but the other people around him that were walking with him on the road to Damascus to go take out these believers, they fell to the ground. What does he leave out of his testimony here? That he was blinded. And what happened after the fact, right? I was blinded, then I went here, this person prayed for me, and then I started preaching the gospel here, then I went here. Okay, interesting. Does he get to the gospel, though, with King Agrippa? Yes or no? And now I'm going to preach the gospel to you, King Agrippa. Does he say that? No, but does he have elements of the gospel in his, te- in his speech or his defense? Tell me about it. Okay, so he's pretty confrontational. Does he start with the confrontation, though? What's he do? 
Yeah, you know the culture, you know what happened, you know what the law and the prophets say, you know the point of the resurrection, you know that that's what our hope is in. What else? What are other aspects of the gospel here? Verse 20, they should repent, turn to God. Right on. The whole point that Paul was chosen was what? Verse 17 and 18. To res- I'm rescuing you, Paul, so that you can go and rescue these people. And the rescue, what's that look like? Verse 18. To open their eyes from the darkness. Okay, now, th- this is logic here. If their eyes need to be opened, what's that tell me the current state that they're in right now? They are blind, their eyes are closed, and it is dark, right? To open their eyes, why? That they may turn. Everybody say that word with me. Turn. That they may turn from what? From darkness to the light. Now, this is crazy cool. I wish we had time to go through all the Old Testament, but we don't. Um, This whole idea and imagery of the light is huge. Absolutely huge. If you look at the book of Isaiah, that Jesus, the servant, the suffering servant, is the light of the nations, the light to the Gentiles. So here, eyes up here, please. Paul is being used. Here's God. God's using Jesus. Jesus is appearing to Paul and says, you're going to be the light. Open their eyes. Turn them from darkness to light. And what is another turn that's happening? Awesome. What's dominion mean? The power, the authority, the rule, the kingdom of Satan to turn them from the kingdom of Satan to whom? To God. We have seen this over and over again throughout the book of Acts. The message of the gospel is, badow, here's Jesus, and then boom, here's your response. Here's Jesus from the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, all those other things. And then because of who Jesus is, not will you accept Jesus into your heart? There's no accept Jesus into your heart. There's no four spiritual laws here. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. There's a here's Jesus. Here's your response in light of Jesus is the Son of God. You are in sin Wrath of God is coming upon you. Here's your response. What's the response? In every preaching of the gospel in the book of Acts, from Peter to Paul's three huge testimonies that we've looked at so far, what is the key ingredient? Gospel. What? One person. What is it? Repent. Here's who Jesus is. Repent. Even when we looked at Acts chapter 17 and we looked at all those different cities, we looked at Corinth, we looked at at Thessalonica, we looked at uh, Ephesians, Ephesus. With 
1 Thessalonians, in I think it's 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 9, 10, how they turned to serve, turned from idols to serve a living and a true God. In Acts chapter 2, the message at Pentecost was, here's who Jesus is. You crucified Jesus with your sins. Repent from this crooked, perverse generation and be baptized. It's the message all throughout. And yet, I've had conversations with multiple people over the past three, four months. You're the first person that ever taught me about repentance. What? Why is it that we don't talk about repentance? Y'all talk to me. What? We don't want to hurt nobody's feelings. We're chicken head. Pauline, I love you. If y'all don't know Pauline, you need to get to know Pauline. A chicken head. But in reality, if you go to the deeper issue of that, we're afraid of hurting somebody's feelings, but what are we not afraid of? Them going to hell. We're afraid that we'll be rejected, but we're not afraid that they'll be rejected by God on the day of reckoning. That's pretty heavy. Why else are we afraid to... Why, why do you think in American evangelical Christianity we don't oftentimes talk about repentance? Repenting means admitting you're wrong. Okay, so let's, here's that. I don't want to tell people that I'm wrong or that they're wrong. Why? Why would we not want to tell people that they're wrong or that I'm wrong? Because we don't want to be persecuted. Hoda, what? Admit what? Okay. We don't want to admit that we're wrong. Proofs in the pudding kind of thing. Okay, so it's deeper than not just admitting that you're wrong, but there's a, a difference. Okay, say what you said one more time. Yeah. So... Why don't we as individuals want to, we'll do it from the angle of calling people to repentance. Why don't we want to call people to repentance? Okay, let's talk about that. She said maybe we confuse calling people to repentance with being judgmental. This is a fun one. What do y'all think about that?
Based on the Word of God. What, hold on a second, Catherine. Why do you emphasize based on the Word of God there? So your job, therefore, is as a minister of reconciliation, which God calls us, if, if we've been reconciled, we have the ministry of reconciliation, to say to them not, you're, you're a homosexual and you're going to hell. I think you're going to go to hell. It's, let me show you, holy God, here's what holy God says. Let me show you in the word what holy God says. And because of this, the only appropriate response is repentance. Now, might we be confused as being judgmental when we hold high the standard of God's word, both with our speech and with the way we live our lives? Might we be confused as judgmental? Yeah. Catherine, what were you going to say? Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, I've had this conversation so many times with people. I'm not judging you. And you're confusing, you don't love me. That's not loving. But then when you base even that on what the Word of God says, the most appropriate and most um, Christ-like loving thing to do in that situation is not just to ignore sin, but to say, this is what the Word of God... This is the Gospel. This is what the Word of God says to your situation. I'm not judging you, the Word of God. The Word of God judges you now, and the wrath of God is upon you now. But there's release. There's a way. You see, we have tried to make Christianity, we've tried to market Christianity and peddle Christianity to where, oh, it's, it's nice for everybody. Don't judge me, don't judge me, don't judge me. Well, if we don't have any weight of sin, we don't have any appreciation for the gravity, the lengths to which Jesus went to save us. If we don't have a sin problem, then we don't need a Savior. 
if we don't have judgment of God and sin and weight and wrath of God coming, day of reckoning where every man will give an account for every sin, word, deed that they have done. If we don't have the weight of that, that my barista at Starbucks tonight is going to face that day of reckoning, then laissez-faire. Life is good. Jesus died to make me comfortable. Do you see how the enemy comes in there and distorts things of, oh, don't be judgmental. This is ultimate love. This is love, love, love. You are deceived. I'm so sorry that you're deceived. I was deceived too. But Jesus, through grace and mercy, has transferred me from the kingdom of darkness through repentance. God's kindness, Romans 2, 1 and 2, leads me to repentance. God is wooing me to repentance. Jesus, when he gets on the scene in Matthew, his message is not, I'm Jesus, bow down to me. It's repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The message of his disciples is repent for the kingdom of heaven is almost and is already here. Look at some of the things that, that Paul says to Agrippa in his relationship with Agrippa. Uh, verse 14. We're going we're gonna to unpack what repentance means in a second. Verse 14. And when he had fallen to the ground, and we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice, Hebrew dialect. We have nothing... The first part of this is true in the 9, chapter 9 account, and true in the 22 account. But we have this interesting phrase at the end. Did anybody catch that this week as you were looking at it? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. What in the world does that mean? (laughs) Anybody know what a goad is? A what? You use it on an animal to make it move. It is hard. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. This was a common um, phrase or proverb or idiom used um, in Jewish culture during this time frame. If you have an animal and you want animal to go this way, this is before PETA, okay? If you have an animal, you want it to go this way, but it's going this way, what do you do? As a shepherd, what? Oh, you goad it. You goad that donkey. What do you do? <laughs> Daniel, what do you do with a goad? You beat and you prod. You hit. You kick, maybe swear, I don't know. (laughs) To get it to go this way, move this way. Now this is interesting because God, first of all, God is using a Hebrew idiom to speak to Saul and is saying, Saul, why are you fighting it? You're being prodded, you're being beat, It's going to continue to happen. Why are you fighting it? What? What? 
What does that have to do with the situation where God is appearing to Paul slash Saul? God is appearing to Saul and saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Right. What does that have to do with this, though? Okay. Yeah, chapter seven. Right. Yeah. Why are you fighting it? Are you not getting the fact that I'm the one poking and prodding you? You're a stupid animal fighting against the goad. How does that relate? Like, how do we relate that to, I mean, nobody's stuck me with anything recently, praise the Lord. How does that relate to someone today? You have heard the gospel over and over and over again. You've heard it in church. You've heard it in conversation with people. You've seen it begun to be lived out. And yet, you are still dark. Your eyes are still blind. You're still in darkness. You're still in the kingdom of Satan. Why? Why are you kicking against the goad? Do you not realize that, yeah, the poking and the prodding right now, that might hurt a little bit, but it's going to be a lot worse later. What's the answer to someone that's kicking against the goad? So it's like, if you don't pay attention now, you're opening yourself up to more, beat me more, beat me, right? Interesting. Let's keep going. Go to verse 18 again. Paul's commission with the gospel. Had he followed through with his commission, preach to the gospel, preach the gospel, repentance, light, out of darkness, turn to the light from darkness, turn to God from idols. Had he, been, had he followed through with that? Yes? Is everyone convinced? Has he followed through with that? Okay, yeah. And that's what he says to Agrippa, to the point where he gets a little Holy Spirit, some boldness here. And what's he say to Agrippa? Well, okay, I just wanted to preach the gospel to you, but uh, all right. What's he do? Do you believe the law and the prophets? I know you do. 
Do you believe that the law and the prophets talk about resurrection? I know you do. Why don't you just become a Christian? And what's Agrippa say? Dude, lay off, I'm out. Now, it's interesting, Agrippa is more, he has more of, more tact than the rest of the Jews do. The rest of the Jews, what do they try to do? I'm going to kill you because you just said that. Agrippa just stands up, walks away, and says, peace. Bernice, let's go, we're out. That's it. Let me, let me unpack this resurrection repentance thing for you. Um, you've heard us talk about a book maybe a lot. A lot of people are going through this book right now, and it is... Because it is so gospel and word-centered, the Lord is using it to transform people's lives. I just want to read you a couple of things uh, from this book, what repentance looks like. And it's, uh, let me skip past a couple of things. It gets to the three ingredients of uh, repentance. This is How People Change by Timothy Lane and Paul David Tripp. It's a pretty awesome book. And he uses the picture of the prodigal son. Do y'all know the story of the prodigal son? Somebody give me like a 15-second synopsis of the prodigal son in the midst of people wailing outside. I don't know, whatever. Go ahead. His pleasure, women, food. Crazy cool story. It's more uh, Tim Keller, if you don't know him, you need to also pay attention to him. He wrote a book called Prodigal God. It's more of a story on God than it is the sons. The main point is, look at your prodigal God that runs to people who are repentant. Pretty cool. And he gives, uh, not Tim Keller, but Tim Lane and Paul David Tripp, give these three ingredients of faith-driven repentance. Number one, wake up. Wake up, y'all. For Paul, it was bright light, he goes blonde. It probably won't happen to you that way, most likely. In the prodigal son story, he came in the middle of the pig poo and garbage and just a wasted life. He comes to his senses. This is what uh, David Tripp says. Real repentance means that you see, <laughs> you see that your biggest problem is... You, your biggest problem is not everybody else around you. Your biggest problem is not the fact that you live in DFW or that this happened to you or that happened to you or you were married and you're now divorced or this, that, or this happened when you were 10. Your biggest problem is you, not your circumstances. No matter how difficult things may be, your deepest need Deepest need is to know and be known by God. In the case of the prodigal son, it took difficulty and poverty to awaken him to his true condition. Doesn't God often use adversity to bring us to a sense of self-awareness? What may begin as shallow repentance begins to grow and begins to deepen when you wake up. In some of the following ways, 
change is starting to happen. Let me read some of these to you. This is, you're just starting to change. You're just starting to wake up. You see life as a moral drama of immense proportions. It's no longer just about your pleasure. It's, wow, there's there's a greater thing going on around us. You have a new sobriety about the reality of sin, suffering, and your need for grace. Momentary pleasures, drink, sex, fun, Momentary pleasures no longer hold your attention. Biblical truth begins to make sense as you think about your situation. The Bible gets personal. In a story of Acts chapter 26, it's not all this stuff is happening with Paul. It's all this stuff happened with Paul and then spotlight on my life. Oh my gosh. The Bible becomes personal. It's not just talking about them or everybody else. It's talking about me. You begin to make connections between your heart and your behavior. You begin to look at your sin of pornography or sin of gossip or sin of always having to be in control, the outward manifestation of sin, and you get to the real heart of the matter, that that shows your heart. Out of the heart flow all of these evil deeds, Jesus says. You begin to see that God is a God of grace and mercy, and he becomes increasingly attractive to you. Wake up. An awakening. Paul was commissioned to be a light. Paul was commissioned to turn people from darkness to light. They had to wake up first. Some of you need to be run. You Not need. You're inviting God to run over you with a Mack truck in order to wake you up. Some of you are so spiritually dead that it's going to take... You've already experienced a lot of things that could wake you up, but you haven't come to your senses yet. Divorce, hardship, someone preaching the gospel for 18 weeks, you haven't come to your senses yet. The Holy Spirit is still, because you're here, the Holy Spirit is still wooing you. Second thing is, not only do you have to wake up, you have to own up. The prodigal's wake-up call is followed by repentance. It's not just enough to know that you're in pig poop. You have to get up out of the pig poop. Some of you haven't got that aspect of the gospel yet. That The gospel, Jesus forgave me, I can still live in pig poop. No. Get out of the pig poop. We laugh, but pig poop looks, it is nasty. It looks and smells and tastes, I've never tasted it. (laughs) Imagine that it tastes like pig poop. The prodigal's wake-up call is followed by repentance. If this is, some of you have started to wake up, but you haven't had that I'm going to turn moment yet. If this is happening, we will not treat God's grace lightly. Three things are involved in owning up. Number one, godly sorrow. 2 Corinthians 7 deals with godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is, oh, I got caught, or oh, I'm dealing with these consequences because I was a jerk, or because I was a pervert, and then all this stuff happened to me, or because I was this and that and this and that, and I invited consequences, and now I'm dealing with the consequences. Man, that really stinks. 
or where you just cry because of the situation that you're in, but your own doing is what brought you to that situation. Your own addictions brought you to that situation. That's worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow, prodigal son saw that his sin was against the father. This is godly sorrow as opposed to worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is only sorrow you were caught, that you failed to live up to your own standards and potential, or that you're experiencing the consequences of your sin. Worldly sorrow is self-centered, woe is me, while godly sorrow focuses on God, that God was offended and others were hurt. Godly sorrow especially sees that God's love, not just his commandments, have been treated lightly. Worldly sorrow produces tears of self-pity, but godly sorrow produces tears of true brokenness and humility. Number one, owning up, godly sorrow. Number two, seeing sins beneath the sins. You begin to see that the heart sins beneath your behavioral sins. Behavioral sins, pornography. What's the heart sin? I'm going to other things to find pleasure besides God. The adulterous lies that drive you to do what you do. Remember, before you, va- you violate commandments 4 through 10 against other people, you violate commandments 1 through 3. No other gods. Don't make for yourself any idols. When you see this, you begin to see how spiritually blind you've been. There's no more excuse making or blame shifting. Instead, there is honest self-examination. You start to be self-critical without getting defensive or depressed. Number three of owning up, you repent of sin. You start repenting of your righteousness, not just your sins. What does that mean? Every time we try to build our lives on who we are apart from Christ, it is an attempt to justify ourselves. It's a way to create a righteousness apart from Christ so that we feel we earned our acceptance before God, others, and ourselves. A Christian not only sees the thorny behavior that results from these false identities, he also sees the many outwardly good things that may be motivated by a worship of something other than God. Let me give you an example. For example, suppose you do not feel accepted by God, others, or yourself, unless you're doing something, something kind or thoughtful for someone. You are placing your hopes for acceptance not on Jesus, but on your image as a truly sacrificial person. Biblical repentance will lead you to repent even of these efforts because they cannot make you right with God either. Then finally, we wake up, we own up, and then we shift the weight. In the prodigal son story, he received his father's gracious embrace. When you admit the depth of your sin and truly repent, as the prodigal son did, the love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit gets increasingly attractive to you. The false identities and idols that were once so alluring lose their appeal. You start to experience the love of Jesus and change. True biblical gospel change results. Notice how the father's lavish love is prominent in the story of the prodigal son. He runs in the direction of his repentant child. What does this tell you about what true repentance looks like? You begin to rest in Christ's work as you confess your sins, asking for forgiveness and grace. You get smaller and Christ gets bigger. You have a godly self-forgetfulness that is very different from self-loathing. You look at Jesus, not just at your sin. You receive new energy, joy, gratitude, hope, perseverance, and purpose. Jesus has made us, if we're children of God, into new creatures in Christ. It defeats the power of sin over our lives. In this chapter, we have seen 
what it looks like to depend on the cross as we deal with ongoing sin. We grow when we remember our new identity as regenerated, justified, and adopted sons and daughters. This new identity and power enable us to admit and turn from sin to pursue the things that please God. This brings amazing freedom into the life of a believer. This repentance is a daily thing. Folks, I don't know how to say it any other way. If you are a child of God, not only have you repented, you are constantly repenting. It is not a, I repented when I was 11, therefore I am now a child of God. It is a lifestyle of repentance. If you're a child of God, you have the same ministry as Paul. Yeah, maybe not to the Jews or maybe not to the Gentiles. You have the commission of Jesus to turn people from darkness to light through the power of the Holy Spirit. To turn people from serving idols to serve a living and true God. That is your calling in Jesus. Real quick, before we pray. (laughs) Give me some questions that you might have about repentance. Yeah. Is that something we muster up and do on our own? What do you mean? That's a loaded question, Joe. It's a loaded question. Um, true repentance flows from an awareness of God's love and loyalty, and kindness to us. As we look at who God is, then repentance should happen. So if I'm sitting here and I'm like, uh, I guess I need to repent, you need to take a good look at the love of God through Jesus and what he has done, and then you need to partner with God. Repentance is turn, you are involved in turning. The Holy Spirit helps you, but God, God initiates the turning. You just respond in faith of, okay, I'm going to turn. Not accept Jesus into your heart, but trust. I trust the sacrifice of the Savior. I give it all. And I depend upon him to help me turn. So it's a 100% from God and a 100% from Joe or Jeremy. Is that what you were drawing out? Yeah. Yeah. Right. The book of Hebrews, some of you have become dull of hearing. You have heard so many times. Do not let sin harden your hearts. The more time you listen without response of repentance, the harder your heart gets, the more plugged your ears become. That's scary. What else? Yeah, Stephanie. Help me out. Does repentance just happen once? 
daily, multiple times a day. Carry your cross each day. Yesterday, I was so angry. I mean, something happened, and it was so dumb, and I was so angry. And then this snowball effect of events happened where even something stupid as I slammed my middle finger in my office drawer, my desk drawer, and I was so mad. Where's Amy? Do you remember that? Yeah, I walked out and showed Amy the blood. She's like, don't flip me off. (laughs) Then I get in my car. I had just read a note. Those of you that were at my ordination, I read one of your notes every day um, to most of the time encourage me. Some of you are like, hey. (laughs) That was funny. Um, And I, I, (laughs) hey, yes, I got one that said that. Uh, I opened a card yesterday, and it really, it just, it blessed me. It was an appropriate time for me to, to read that. And um, then some things happened, and it, it was right back to, oh, it's so hard, or, man, this is so difficult. Why me, God? You know, one of those pity party moments. So I'm in my car, and I'm call, I call somebody, and I call my wife in the meantime, and I'm like, it's so hard, blah, 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 blah. And then this moment happened where it was like, you are so self centered right now. All these things are not about you. You have been called to carry the gospel. So shut up. God speaks to me that way, I think, sometimes. And it, it was a pull the car over, cry a whole little bit, and say, God, I'm so sorry. I am such a schmuck. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for reminding me again of the gospel that you love me no matter what. And thank you for changing me. So it's a daily thing. Daily. What else? Anybody else? Yo. It's real simple. Jesus. You preach the gospel to them. And you say, I, you don't do the, here's a 12-step program. Here's a this, that, and the other. You say, here is the cross of Jesus Christ. And that is the motivation for change. Any other change that is not wrought in the gospel is just behavior modification. Is just a self-help guru in a book saying, do this and do this and do this. You lead them to the cross and you show them the Holy Spirit now lives within you. You have the power of the gospel and the power of the Spirit to change. And I am going to lovingly hold you accountable Whatever the sin is, 
go and sin no more. That's what Jesus said to the lady caught in adultery. Right. Pray about it first, and then I would say, if you know, if God is prompting you to do it, that, that's the end of the prayer. Don't pray about it for six months. Act, sometimes the prayer ends, and the pray at all times without ceasing, but the action has to happen. Yeah. In humility. There's this pretty crazy story, um, and it flies my memory where it is. Um, Jesus speaking to this man that's laying at a pool. And the, the myth was that an angel would come down a certain time frame and would stir the pool, and the first person, first lame person that jumped in the pool would be healed. It was a myth, but you still had all these lame people that were hanging around the pool. Jesus comes up to this lame man and Jesus, uh, it's really interesting what Jesus asks. Jesus says, do you want to be whole? Do you want to be whole? He didn't say, here's, here's the plan. He said, do you want to be whole? The conversation you have with your friend is, do you really want to be whole? Because it sounds like you want a little bit of Jesus and you still want your sex. It sounds like you want a little bit of Jesus and you still want... The, the numbing effect of alcohol in your life. All in, all out. And you walk him through how to embrace the cross of Jesus in those moments. True repentance is change. Not uh, creaking, 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 maybe, oh, oh, no, oh, 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 change. I heard somebody talking today. Uh, he said, if, it, if you say you're an apple, but you look like an orange, smell like an orange, taste like an orange, you're an orange. If he's saying that he wants a repentance, but he's still enslaved in sin, he knows what God's word says, and yet he chooses. What a brazen fool. I mean, that's the, that's the definition of a fool that we heard on Sunday. You know what God's word says, and you purposely go against what holy God says. That's foolish.
harsh. God said it. I'm the messenger. Any other questions? Yeah. Talk real loud because there's atom bombs going off. Yeah. It's called, it's typical in evangelical Christianity today. Don't let it rip. That'd be kind of awkward for everybody at the workplace. I know what you're saying, though. You depend, that's what the book of Acts is about. You depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit. You explain to him that the gospel is not about behavior modification. That the gospel, it's like the imagery of a big water hose. And if there's holes in the water hose, if you plug one, the, the hole of pornography, well, the pressure is going to come up some other place. And then if you plug the hole of pornography, plug the hole of, give me another one, I don't know, alcoholism, since we just talked about that, the root issue is the heart, not the outward stuff. And he cannot change unless the new covenant takes place in his life where he runs in faith to the gospel. Otherwise it's, well, I've got pornography. I, I got that handled. Well, then you got pride because you're thinking you handled it and not that God helped you handle it. So I just, I just keep living the life of Christ. Be the aroma of Jesus, minister of reconciliation around this guy or girl, whichever. One more question, we're done. I know some of you are like, I'm so hungry. And I'm so ADD with all of the chaos. Yeah? Talk real loud. Glory. First of all, I would say, one, the issue, the idea of rededication is straight up manure. It's manure. Secondly, I would, I would, I would have a dialogue with them about, okay, what's the issue? What's the word of God say? And I would have an evaluation period of, look, if, if there's this constant back and forth, back and forth, then maybe, First John, you have not embraced the cross and allowed true change, true heart, heart of stone out, heart of flesh in, Holy Spirit in my life 
you have not allowed that to happen. It sounds like it might be close to happening. If through the evaluation, and I would say pray, and I've done this with many of you, pray the prayer, Lord, show me. You say that you're not the author of, of doubt. You have written the word of God, 1 John, so that I might know that I have eternal life. Lord, help me orchestrate events in my life. Give me even freaking dreams, God, if that's the way you want to get my attention. Let me know. And you start looking at what, what the word says. Romans 8, those who are sons of God are led by the spirit of God. Romans 8, 13, that you are actively killing sin in your life. It's not a thing of perfection, it's, and it's not a thing of condemnation. It's a thing of, I'm convicted, and I'm going to do something about it. I realize I, I don't have the power in myself to change. Go back to what Amanda said, I get in a community where the people can speak to my blind spots, because I have a lot of them, and I invite them to do that. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, and, and that would be the third conversation that I have. After the, okay, I, it's confirmed. I, I know the Spirit testifies within my spirit that I'm a child of God. That's Romans 8 too. I know that I'm a child of God. Not, and you have to be really careful with this. Because a lot of people say, well, when I was, and I did, and this, and I did that, and I did this. What does the Word say? Don't take your experience and throw your experience on top of the Word. Take the Word and say, okay, I'm going to allow the Word to evaluate my experience. That's a big, big issue today. And then you say, okay, preach the gospel to yourself every day. The things that are happening in your life right now are to make you more like Jesus. And this is one of those situations. Cling to the cross. Come to repentance. Look at the heart. Jesus, you have redeemed me from this. This, I am a new creation. You preach the gospel. I once was, I now am, because of the cross, I'm going to be, and you have given me the power to change through the gospel, through the word, through the Holy Spirit, through the community of believers. This is why this, this crap of us, our generation saying, I don't need church, why it is a lie from God. You cannot live the Christian life in a transient, like, I go to this church, I go to this church. If you're not in a faith family community, if you're not in a faith family community, a lie from the devil, sorry. God does not lie. That's Titus chapter 1. God does not lie. Sorry. Rewind. It is a lie from the devil. And a lot of people our age believe it. A lot of people that come in and out of the doors of this room believe that they can live the Christian life without being in community. And it is a lie. Is that, does those three things answer your, sorry. 
That was a long-winded answer. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. I thank you, Lord, how you have changed me. Not because of what I've done, not because I looked good, or because I was of any value, but because you chose, you moved, you demonstrated your kindness and love to me on the cross. God, I thank you for the cross of Christ. I thank you that it has given me, as I turn in faith to see Jesus and put faith in Jesus and trust faith, not just the the mental, not just the heart change, but the I surrender my life to you, Jesus. You are King, Master, Lord. Lord, that you, you have redeemed me. You have bought me and placed me within a faith family, placed me within a community called the Bride of Christ, the Body of Christ. Lord, I I ask that you would continue to move through your Holy Spirit, continue to convict of sin, convict the world of judgment. Lord, I can't get it through people's heads. That's the work and power of the Spirit. I cannot change a life. It's the work and power of the Spirit and the Gospel. Lord, help us to to remember we're just called to be witnesses. We're not called to change people. Thank you for these individuals. Thank you for your word. Lord, I am so hopeful at what you're doing. Knowing that faithful is he who calls, he will do it, he will complete it. Knowing that he who began that good work will complete it. He will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Lord, let us press on to maturity, leaving behind the elementary things and pressing on to know Jesus more and more. Thank you for this time. We love you. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.